You are listening to the A Square Podcast. Keep it locked, the A Square Podcast. That's right, that's right, that's right. What up, baby? Hey, this is Kate Kemp, and you rocking with the A Square Podcast. Be sure to click and subscribe. Cornbread, what up, dog? DJ A Rock, A Square Podcast. With information on it, tricks to the trade. Make sure you subscribe and share. Also, turn those notifications on to the podcast. Always keep your shoes by your feet. By your feet. Mr. Cornbread, Corn Breezy. You and I had a conversation. What up, man? Hey, man, I'm chilling, man. Be sure to subscribe. It's fresh. You. As normal. It's been a minute. I, I I guess we, I guess we just kick it off. A Square Podcast, boy DJ A Ron, alongside my brother Mr. Corn. What exactly went down? It's not a big deal to me. Man, talk to me, bro. Tell me how it went down. How you doing, homie? How was the week? Grimy. We talk and we say we dive and right in. Keep it locked when it's fresh. Get the new content. Dive and right in. He actually keeps it entertaining. I'm going to fast forward. Yeah, go straight in. Oh, my God, man. Cornbread. What up, dog? DJ A Ron. A Square Podcast. Until next time, A Square Podcast. You about to lose your job. You about to lose your job. Get this dance. You about to lose your job because you are detaining me for nothing. You about to lose your job. Oh my God! We're not gonna start off going off on my cousin Nate like that. We're not gonna do that. Are you actually but, you recording? Know, I'm I'm recording now. You got a problem oh, with that? You, you nervous? No. You, you, you got to warn you, me before you start actually recording now. You you scared Nate by hearing you? Don't be nervous, I, bro. Hey, look, Nathan knows that I love him, but he's been ghost on us for so long. Ooh. I'm like, dang. So when I said that we, so when I said we was down in, um, we was down in uh, Miami, uh, that's why you said the only place you could find him is in the Caribbean. Yeah, I'm like, we got so basically in order to get in some face to face time with my cousin, I got to go on some sort of a tropical vacation. Yeah, <laughs> it's the only time you moving around. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and do this thing. Um. A Square Podcast, your boy DJ Aaron, alongside my brother Cornbread. Cornbread, what up, man? What up, baby? How y'all living out there, world? The world is uh, opening, as should we say. The world back. <laughs> Let's go. And uh, we got a special guest on the line with us. This is Lisa Lee. Lisa, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys doing today? Very good, very good. So we're in all different parts right now. So I'm in Illinois. And Antonio is in Atlanta, and Lisa is in Iowa. No, let her let her hype up Iowa, bro. Go ahead. <laughs> there is no hype. I have no hype. <laughs> so, um, so we're gonna talk to you guys. Uh, the past several episodes, what we've been talking about on A Square Podcast is um, health and people who are passing uh, from coronavirus and whatnot. There. Um, it's been a lot of other health issues with them. So Antonio and I, we've been talking about like, you know, building up your immune system and, you know, um, just trying to stay healthy. So if something does happen, you know, your, your body can help as much as it can. So with that being said, that's why we want to bring Lisa on the show today. Um, 
So, Lisa, you are a full vegan, right? Yeah, I I am vegan. There are some caveats to that, though, Aaron. Uh, vegan is a lifestyle, not a diet. So what I would say is that I eat plant-based and I live a predominantly vegan lifestyle. I have a large family, so it's really hard for me to control 100% of my environment. I don't personally buy leather or anything like that, but I can't promise you that you won't come into my house and find a pair of leather shoes in my husband's closet. Or something. <laughs> All right. What, what about a leather belt for those kids, though? You know what I'm saying? Got well, to whip them up real quick. We have a really strong tradition in my family, and we give whoopings with wooden spoons. Ooh, snap. Don't incriminate yourself they, on this show. Do they, do they got to go pick the wood, though? That's what we have to do. Had to go outside and get that tree, that switch. No, we don't do switches. That, that, that's a little much. We yeah, just do a little, little pat-pat on the uh, bottom with a wooden spoon. <laughs> so when did you decide to not like not eat meat any of that like how long how many years has it been so i've been fully plant-based for probably seven years or right around seven years i was a pescatarian prior to that for about four years and the difference is the pescatarian i was still eating like fish and seafood but i didn't eat any other uh red meat, chicken, turkey, anything like that. I also still consumed dairy. So it wasn't until about seven years ago that I made that full transition where I don't consume any animal products whatsoever in my diet. So that's kind of like you, Antonio, like you don't eat, um, you know, uh, meat or anything where every now and then you'll have like uh, get fish, some fish or, or something. Yeah. To mix it up. Um, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, like she said, it is a lifestyle and you have to keep that discipline. So, you know, when I'm going <clears throat> two or three months without any type of, you know, meat, and then you see somebody eating some chicken wings or barbecuing or something, you know, it's something in you get that urge. So I'm like, all right, let me get some salmon or some, you know, grouper or trout or something like that or a lobster. But other than that, um, I try to keep that same, uh, diet. Right. So, um, Lisa, what made you make that transition then? Like what, what made you say, okay, you know, obviously, like you said, you were already not, not, you know, really eating any meat or whatnot, but what actually got you to that point before all of this? Like what got you to the point where you were like, you know what, I'm gonna look more into this and, and not eating so much of the other stuff. So this has been a long journey for me because I think it's always been in me. I've always been like an environmentalist, even like high school, way back when I was in a group at school, a club called Flow for the Love of Our World. And the only thing we knew to do back in the early 90s, and don't let me date myself and give my age away, but all we did was like recycle pop cans because we didn't know what else to do. We just knew that there were some environmental impacts that were going to cause damage and destruction later in our lives. And recycling was the big thing then. But right. so I've always had kind of that calling to, to do things that were right for the environment. So I want to just kind of start there. And mm. I kind of went back and forth and I would go two or three months and I would be a vegetarian. And I didn't really know how to do it because I didn't have the resources available. So it would get really difficult. So since I was a young adult, I started, you know, kind of going back and forth. Then 
I went pescatarian. And I don't even know what made me go fully pescatarian. I think I just one day said, oh, I, I watched a documentary on HBO. And it was a investigative reporter. And what they were giving details on and showing was the inhumane and just the foul and nasty conditions of farm animals. And I was so moved by it that I was like, I'm not eating meat anymore. So right then I cut meat out. I watched that. I was like in tears. I watched that documentary and I didn't eat meat, red meat or pork from that day on. Then I'm going to say probably about four years after that, I was grocery shopping with my friend Reagan and I went to buy some milk and she made a comment to me and said, so you like to drink pus? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you know, there's pus in milk. And I always make the comment that the FDA has an allowable amount of pus that can be in dairy products when they're brought to the shelves of the grocery store. But my allowable amount of pus is zero. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) So what she said that, and I was like, how do you know that? Because I just wasn't informed. And she said, well, she had been reading this book and the name of the book. And I wish I had the authors on deck with me right now because I just can't think about it. Um, These two women wrote a book. They were former models. And the name of the book is called Skinny Bitch. I immediately bought that book and I stayed in my room almost all weekend. I didn't even really eat. I drank like water and ate some carrot sticks. Because the more I read that book and the more educated I got about just the the destruction and it's just such horrible conditions in which the food that we consume is being produced. I was scared to eat anything. So, and Aaron, you know, because we're family that I will saturate myself in information. Oh, I know. (laughs) That's what I did. I just consumed anything that I could on the internet and books. And I was like, okay, I didn't eat another animal product eggs, milk, meat, fish, anything from that day forward, because that was enough for me. What's your take on why people refuse to, you know, uh, educate themselves and change? Well, Aaron, I have a lot of different heavily uh, opinionated theories on this, but I'll keep it light for the sake of your podcast. I think that as people, and especially in the African-American community, we have a really hard time shedding tradition. This is all learned behavior, right? And so when you hear people talk about these diseases that African-American communities suffer from and how they're genetic, genetics is also kind of the tradition of the makeup of your body. We adopt these diseases from our ancestors because we have been trained to eat the same way that they ate. And food can have a very sentimental value to people. I mean, I have, there are certain smells and foods that I eat or I see, and it's very nostalgic to me. It'll be like, oh my God, that reminds me of my grandma, or that reminds me of this part of my childhood. So those things are very hard for us to let go of, especially when so much of our history has been taken from us or shaped for us by other people. We want to hang on to those traditions. 
And, and I think sometimes people feel like letting go of those traditions or changing them is going to be somehow betraying the culture or our ancestors in some way. But as people, we have to grow. And as we take in information and we learn more about genetics and how our bodies work and function, I think it's our responsibility to future generations to change these conditions so that we can make healthier children. Can I um, also add to that as well? I think it, well, my opinion would be also education and psychology of it. Um, It's a lot of times that I've been to different places when you might see a skinny kid, male or female. And then, like you said, the black families feed them. Let's put some meat on those bones. Let's get them big. And if it's a big baby, keep keep letting them eat. He good. He all right. You know, it's okay if you just eat candy. Like those things are not okay because now it's training those kids that I'm picky now. So when I do see some squash or green beans or a salad or asparagus or trying new things with my palate or rice or even the good things, avocados, (laughs) no, that's not candy. That's not sugar. That's not, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not the dopamines in your brain that, that triggers you that it's good and it's okay. You know, so I would just add that to what Lisa's saying, because I agree 100 percent of what she said. No problem. And the one last thing that I wanted to add just really quick is if you're curious about changing your diet, go on plant based, whatever version of a healthier diet you want to choose. The resources are there, and I highly recommend watching some of those documentaries that are available on Netflix, The Forks Over Knives, The Game Changers, The Cowspiracy. Start educating yourself and make a transition, even if it's one day a week or one meal a day that you cut animal products out. Every change matters. Hey, this is Kate Kemp and you rocking with the A-Square podcast. Um, my college, all this happened in like two weeks, bro. So my college roommate um, had a baby girl last week, man. Okay. So congratulations congrats, to Tristan, congrats. man, for, for that. And then um, one more, uh, I would love to say, Thank you for everyone who texted or called me um, over the past week. Um, you know, so Aaron knows this. So I've had the same number since I was 16, bro. So that's 17 years, man. So if if I'm receiving messages and calls from numbers I don't know, it's either you got a new number or I don't even know who you are, bro. Like that's how long, like there's no way how I don't have your number, right? But I received plenty of texts and calls from just numbers that I didn't know checking up on me, texting me, saying we thinking about you because they know, you know, what the situation in Atlanta. So I appreciate everybody out there, man. Yeah, word, man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, past few few weeks, whatnot has, has definitely been been tough. But um, I've been checking on like random people um, that's just like even if they're just a little bit outside of my, my normal circle, you know what I'm saying? Like I know you. So I'm just reaching out to like certain people like, yo, I ain't talked to you in a long time, man. How are you? How's everything going? It's kind of opened up some other conversations, which uh, turned to business conversations, which turned into potentially working together on some new things. You know what I'm saying? Just after a random conversation of uh, in a genuine conversation of how are you? Right. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, man, we can talk some sports for a little bit, man. Um, so NBA's apparently, returning. yeah, NBA returning. Um, July thirty first, right? July thirty first. It's gonna go. Um, it's gonna go. Uh, what is it? Twenty two teams. Yep, and they're gonna have a uh, like an eight game regular season. Eight game, and regular then they're gonna do uh, the best winning percentage makes the final eight in the West right. or eight in the East, and then. It's 13 in the West. Oh, okay. It's 13 in the West, but they're going to fight for those eight and eight spots. Right. So then they'll just take the best win percentage, and then uh, they'll get everybody their game legs back, and then they'll start the uh, playoffs. And then they said the last game possibly for game seven of the finals is October 12th, So, um, which is pretty deep into, obviously, football. And then – you have basketball in, and then I don't know how quick because usually they December, come back at what? They're starting in December. Oh, they're so starting this in, year. Oh, maybe for Christmas, right? Did they say oh, Christmas? They say, yep. That's yep. quick, bro. That's two months. It's a, it's a, it's going to be a quick turnaround. Man. But I mean, I mean, ain't no time to celebrate after this championship, bro. Man, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's back to work. It's you know? not. But even the draft between that, you're gonna have. Well, I guess the draft already happened, right? No. Oh, okay. So you're gonna have the draft in between the playoffs. So the, the dra- draft, I have to look back and, and see. And then you gotta have is. camp again. And you got—I don't know. That's crazy. That's—I'll be interested yeah. to see how quick that turnaround is. But so sixteen hundred, sixteen hundred um, <clears throat> people can be in the arena. Um, that's that's the total. Um, all players, everybody has to stay on campus uh, in Orlando. the whole time in Orlando. Yeah. Um, and as far as friends and family, everybody has to self quarantine for two weeks. Um, and then they have to get a test, um, every day, right? They have to get a test to get onto the campus and then a test every day. And that's and these in every are people, city. And these are people that just tested. I mean, there's yeah. a hell of oh, people who ain't even went and hell did yeah. nothing. That's a fact. So who's getting flued out during the, um, during the championships, bro? Look, man, hey, tickets ain't cheap no more. If you didn't buy your airplane ticket about two months ago, you're going to pay a pretty penny, buddy. <laughs> hey, the players got it. They got it. Roll the air. No, they're going to catch that see. Greyhound. That Greyhound ticket ain't went up. Hey, bro. That, the lady's going to be there, bro. They're going to be there somewhere. They're going to be somewhere. Cali to, for, uh, Cali to uh, Florida on a Greyhound? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to take an Amtrak a little bit, bust Jesus, a little bit. Dog. They got to start leaving now. They have to leave. They got to leave. They got to leave now to make to make it to the championship. To make it until October 12th. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a lot of transfers, bro. <laughs> it's a lot of transfers. Um, I definitely want to give some shout outs that we couldn't get to uh, last week yeah, or really yeah. even the week before. Um, so Memorial Day happened, you know. So first off, you know, um, for to our listeners out there, if you served we, in the military, we had, that, we had that episode up too, <laughs> right? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. You so if you go guys, have you guys uh, served in the military? Know anybody that served or have some kids that are thinking about serving? You know, thank you guys for your service. First off, in right. Memorial Day. Um, also, a big shout out and a thank you to Sharon and um, Javier Perez for blessing the A Square Podcast, man. Um, great interview, you know, about military life and, you know, 
that time we got the male and the female perspective, you know, of uh, officers getting deployed and how raising they had twin daughters, how, what that looks like and stuff like that. So thank you guys for that. So uh, to the listeners, go back and check out that episode. Um, today we on our guests, we have Javier Perez and Sharon Perez. How are you guys doing? Hi, how are you? Good. Hi, Aaron and Antonio. What's going on, gentlemen? Doing very well. Thank you for asking. Go ahead, Antonio. So as um, always with our interviewers, we would love to get some background on you guys. So um, we'll do ladies first. Um, you can kind of tell us where you grew up. Um, if you went to school, you could tell us um, if you like long walks on the beach, whatever you want to tell us. We would just like, you know, the <laughs> listeners would love to know who you are. All right. So I am to give a you know little prelim to what we're going to be talking about. Um, I am an army brat. Um, I grew up, I lived three years in Panama, a year in Kentucky. So um, obviously, um, I know the side from a child perspective of being in the military. And, um, and then I did pretty much fifth grade all the way up to um, second year of college in Puerto Rico. And then I moved to the States and uh, where then I was a army wife at that time. Um, a little bit about myself. Um, I have a master's degree in mental health counseling, um, which um, I worked in construction um, until last year. So a uh, little bit about me. I'm dedicated to my family, to my husband, love puzzles, absolutely love puzzles. This quarantine, let me tell you, <laughs> um, I've done six puzzles of a thousand pieces already. Oh, man. Um, so Javier, poor Javier, the bank is going bankrupt just because of the puzzle <laughs> buying. Um, what else do I like to do? Um, I don't know. I, I just, my family and just um, my kids now with my grandbaby, which is amazing. It's, you know, going back to the good old days. Um, although I, I realized that everything has its season and, um, this lady right here, Definitely her season is not now to have a baby. So yeah. kudos to those that do it at this age. Um, but no, but that's that's a little bit about me. Married to my amazing husband for 25 years. Congratulations. Um, we, thank you. And thank you, thank you. we have been together for 29. Wow. Have two amazing twins. And we have, not two, well, yeah, two twins. Um, we have amazing twin girls. They are 23 and a six-month-old grandbaby. So life is good. Life is, is good, has always been good. Twins? Twins, <laughs> yes. Let me tell you, they were amazing. If I would have had more kids, uh, if it would have been because of how the pregnancy was, um, not that you guys want to hear that, but, um, and um, how the, um, you know, they were growing up um, as, as, you know, kids, as individuals, I would have had 20 more, but no, we, we stopped at that. So I was good with the first, uh, with my first son. I'm good. My only son so far. So I, I'm good then. I, when I got the news, when he came out, everything was perfect. But if I had got the news that it was going to be twins, I definitely for, for sure 100% would have been the guy in all the movies that fall out. You know, when they always pass out, when they say, eh, twin, oh, here goes another one. I'm going down twice. Well, that's, that's funny because I tell my son he is a twin, but I gave up the other one. So I was like, you better start acting right. You better start, you better start cleaning your room. 
Oh my gosh! <laughs> Look, we were we were we were twenty two at the at the time when um, twenty probably twenty yeah twenty two yeah, when we found found out that you know we were going to have uh, kids, and then two months into the pregnancy, I'm like, oh, guess what? You're having twins. The only thing we knew to do at that point was laugh. We didn't know, you know, twenty two <laughs> years old. You're like, oh yeah, it's so beautiful. Um, but definitely, it was it was you know. It was quite a ride, but no, that's all we did was smile and laugh. That's awesome, man. What else so, Javier, what's your what's your story, man? Uh, what's your background? So, my background: I'm born and raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, I did um, all my schooling from kindergarten all the way to my second year in college in Puerto Rico. But through all that time, I knew better. You know, after I finished high school, I really didn't want to go to college. Um, to be sincere, I've been putting camouflage in my face since I was eight, nine years old. And I wish somebody would have you know, look at me and tell me, like, hey, if you like this so much, you shouldn't join the military. But anyways, I went to college for two years. And at that time, we quit college. Uh, we were working. And after we got married, um, probably barely a year and a half later, um, I told Sharon that I wanted to try to do the military. And she completely supported me. And after that, I just went into the military. And I went to the military for eight and a half years from 1996 until january 2005 and then from there start working in the current company you know at the bank at the federal reserve and since then you know i've been in the bank already for 15 years since then i started I finished my bachelor's degree in psychology started my master's degree in um organizational uh, leadership and like sharon was saying everything you know doesn't matter what i have done and everything just because i'm with her you know life has been sweet it's been very nice everything has been amazing so the rest you guys already know the same daughters the same family uh, <laughs> yes wow it, it, be, yeah. it better be the same <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> breaking news on breaking the a square podcast <laughs> this is exclusive hold on yeah Woo. so uh, what uh what branch are you what branch are you in or where are you in i'm sorry i was in the army okay gotcha, yeah. gotcha. and i was in the army and know that i want to be um I want to be the, the, the you know, give the, the, the bare bad news, but I just want to make a clarification. So when you gentlemen started the podcast and let's do this, you know, like you guys do all the rest kind of educational and you guys say happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, that's something that especially people in the military, we definitely don't say. So okay. because um, it's Memorial Day. So we memorize, we remember, we honor all our brothers and sisters, you know, who pay the ultimate price, you know, for the freedom that we enjoy right now. So that means they, they're deceased. So for us, it's definitely not a happy day. So we don't celebrate that. We definitely remember the sacrifice. We honor, you know, their service. And definitely, we you know, we tell stories and stuff like that. But that's something that um, if I were to clarify, I know the rest of the military committee would have said, like, you were there. You didn't even say nothing. You didn't educate him. So I just want to make sure I want to shared that light to you guys. No, 100%. So the, so the correct way to say it is, say it one more time. We just say, you know, it's, when it's on Memorial Day, it's just, you know, like, you know, normally we just try to remember. So we don't say right. Happy Memorial Day or nothing yeah, like that. Right. And you guys are just doing the same thing that everybody in, normally in, in the United States says. It's just, you know, we just think about Memorial Day. It's going to be three-day weekend or four-day weekend. We're going to barbecue and we're going to go out and, and everything, which is fine, you know. Thanks to those guys and ladies that paid the ultimate prize, you know, we are able to do things like that. It's just, you know, the time that we actually 
put to the side, you know, that whole day, which is normally, you know, a Monday. It's just, you know, to remember them. So, you know. You know what I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, because I have uh, all pretty much all my uncles, except for two, um, served in the army. So I understand it, but can you explain to our listeners out there, out there, what it actually means? Like, we're always, it's always a war. It's always something going on. People, I don't think that people really uh, quite understand. They only see what they see on the news. You know what I mean? And that, and, and the questions are, I always hear this like, oh God, we might go to war with this country. But in, in reality, there's always war. There's always, you know, things that are going on. Can you kind of explain that to people in, from your own perspective? Oh, yes, of course. Um, and you're correct. We always in war, even though when we say we are at war now, it's just because it was declared that we were at war with these countries for this reason. Mm-hmm. But even before that, you know, we are war all the time. It's so many different groups, countries, entities that actually don't believe the way of life that the United States, how we live our, ourselves. They always see us as a threat. So they're always, you know, scheming, always planning, always plotting, always making the most impossible things to attack um, our way of living. So when they see the military that they think, you know, we, we are not work, it's always units training because we have to be staying, you know, ready for what may happen. We have units that are ready in different countries because we're making relationship with them to avoid problems. Uh, we are also in another countries because, you know, we gather intelligence to avoid things that happened before anything. So it's always something going on. And this is for the side of, you know, the regular military that everybody see. Then you can hear, you know, from from special forces, Navy SEAL, all different kinds of special operations. It's, those guys are gone all the time, coming back and forth and everything because the threats around the world, they never stop. They never stop. Wow. Um, so my question, um, my next question will be for uh, Sharon. Um, so <clears throat> a little bit about me, um, which Javier knows and uh, most of our listeners know. So my father did 26 years in federal prison. Right. Mm-hmm. So get when he got out, there's a lot of conversations we had of, you know, obviously him missing my life growing up. Um, him, you know, kind of feeling bad about it, but certain things he was just not accustomed to. And I kind of equate that to obviously he has some form of PTSD, right? Of mm-hmm. being, he was 18 when he got incarcerated and, you know, he didn't get out till 40 something, you know, so it was a long time. So my question for you would be when Perez, let's say the final time he came home or he kind of touched on that, he kind of missed his kids growing up or a certain aspect of it, you know, and I know mm-hmm. that hurts him. Um, was Javier the same Javier who used to walk you to your bus route and give you Jolly Ranchers? Or did you see little minor things that um, maybe you had to deal with? Ooh, that's a good one. Um. You know, I'll start by saying that, you know, Javier kind of described it well, the the back and forth, him, you know, being home for a couple of months and leaving, which in a sense creates more, um, creates more instability in the family than actually if you left for a whole year. Um, You know, and from from a spouse perspective, I'm here trying to keep the boat afloat. 
um, you know, when he leaves, the kids get all, you know, routed up, you know, our life changed, our routine changes. Um, and, and I have to say that every time he came home, um, there was definitely a, there, there was a honeymoon time and then there was a little bit of a rocky time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rocky time comes in because, you know, he's used to, I have already created a, a schedule or done things in a certain way because that's what I can do. Um, that's what I've been able to cope while he's away. Um, he has his routine. He only has to worry about himself when he's away. So when he came back, you know, there was an expectation that, you know, maybe things would be the same way that he left them. And sometimes that's, that wasn't the case. So there, there was a little bit of, uh, um, some dynamics there, um, with, with how the household was handled. Um, because it, it wasn't the norm, you know, um, I try to, to my best of my ability to, to be inclusive, to include him in things and, you know, to do as much as we could while he was, while he was there. But there was definitely something, um, you know, and, and I can imagine, I mean, I, I don't blame him for, for coming with the mentality, like, well, what, what do you mean things have changed? Things are different from what I left him. Um, because he, he had, he created his reality wherever he was right? and that's what his norm was. So it is a culture shock coming back, um, to, to something completely different from what he left behind. So there, there were some challenges. There were some challenges. Definitely. I, I just well, wanted to add that? something to, because I think that there's a, there's something that we, it, it's important to point out too. Um, I think that the transition to, to, you know, assimilate the change to be able to um, go through that um, bonding process again. It, 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 it was more, it was more notable, um, noticeable back then. Um, and it was more probably uh, more shocking because of we, we didn't have technology, you know, we still wrote letters to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, web TV, I don't know if I'm dating myself, but web TV was the first, you know, piece of communication when we got hotmail for the first time. But, you know, I would be like, what's, you know, waiting for a phone call that could possibly just last for a minute. I didn't have a way to contact him. Not like these days. I mean, these days that people have phones and internet and, um, you know, they supply web uh, video cameras and, they give them the tools necessary to be able to have a little bit better communication with the family. So imagine you being gone for three months, no communication whatsoever, maybe two calls within those three months. And all of a sudden you're here, you know, he's by himself taking care of himself, comes home and you have two kids screaming, um, a wife that, that, you know, is is up to her wits and wants to go out, maybe do something different. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's a little bit of, of a shock. You know, so he handled it well, but, you know, I, I definitely know that there was some there were some um, challenges there. Sharon, how do you how do you um, how would you talk to somebody who you you see and you feel the energy of um, they're suffering from PTSD like there? You can tell that something is off. How do you have a conversation with somebody that's that's like that? How do you have a conversation to, hey, you know, maybe we should talk to somebody or, hey, maybe you should, you know, talk to somebody because that's a, I feel like that's so hard to do. And that's a struggle 
that myself, like personally, I have had, I've tried that with my uncles for years. You know what I mean? Like the, when they got out of the military, I was very young, but growing up around them, I could always feel like they took what they seen. They took what they've been through and they, they've never been the uncle that left. You know what I mean? Like the uncle mm-hmm. that the uncles that I love that was always there for me, they've never quite been the same. And I've tried to get them to, you know, go and see somebody, go and talk to somebody, but you know, uh, it's always those people who will say, man, I'm not crazy. Nothing's wrong with me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But but we all deal with um, certain demons inside of us or, you know, things that we have to try to work through. How do you um, talk to someone like that? I think you just need to understand where the person is coming from. You know, some people react differently. Some people like to have that conversation, have that sit down conversation. I can tell you that from a civilian perspective. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for us to even begin to try to relate to somebody that has been in the military that has gone through so much that have seen so much. Um, you know, some people, they just don't want to talk about it. Um, you know, trying to, you know, and, and maybe opening up is just going to make it, make it worse for them. So it's a really, really, um, fine line and it's very, it's, very so it's almost, it's almost like they have to want to go and talk to absolutely. somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think that the best that you can do if, with, with someone that you maybe feel or see that might need some help, you know, maybe listen, you know, you need to know, listen, maybe they should just need a listening ear. Um, you know, if they ask you for, for advice, then um, provide it. You know, I think that from, from an outsider military, the military family is very close. When I say military family, it's the service members. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have a, a very unique and strong um, relationship and, and their, their commitment to each other. Um, even when they're out, you know, they look for each other and they support each other. So there, there's a really strong relationship between them. And I think those would be the best people to try to connect somebody that maybe we feel that has, you know, maybe needs some help or needs somebody to talk to would it be with somebody that has been previously, um, you know, uh, part of the service. Because if we even try to, uh, we can't, we can't even start to try to understand what they've seen, what they've gone through. Um, You know, I know with Javier there, I know there's a lot of things that I don't even know. And I, and I can say that we talk about absolutely everything, but I don't, I don't even want to, you know, try to, to, um, prompt him because that's their, that's their cone of silence. I, I, you know, I I think that's, and I have to respect that as a spouse, I have to respect that, um, you know, between them, between service members or former service members, they also, um, they understand when that cone of silence is necessary. And, you know, I, I know Javier has a, a, you know, a friend that used to be in the military with him. Sometimes he'll call Javier just randomly, you know, and Javier knows just to listen. Absolutely. I understand. Um, so I'll switch gears just a little bit. Um, being an American, it seems like we always forget about Alaska and Puerto Rico. 
I don't know what it is, but <laughs> it's so. I, when I went to Puerto Rico, man, it was so much pride there, and I loved it, and it was very beautiful. When um, you went, huh? You went by yeah, yourself? Yeah, I'm sorry. When we went, me and me All and, right, me, and EJ, <laughs> me, me and DJ went. Um, I, it was my 30th, I think. And you're what? 31st. Yeah, don't be putting my age out there, bro. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, very, very beautiful, and I think, like I said, people forget about that. Um, mm-hmm. the past five years, in my opinion, has been very rough for the, you know, uh, for Puerto Rico, man, with, um, Hurricane Maria, I think the earthquake, obviously COVID-19 now. Um, so if you guys don't mind speaking a little about, about obviously Puerto Rico and then how, what's the state of Puerto Rico to this day? Like, how are, how are people doing? Is it upbeat? Is their power still there? Like, you know, just speak a little bit about that. So sure, I'll speak. Oh, go ahead, Javier. You want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So um, my mom still lives there, and I have aunts, uncles, several cousins that still live in Puerto Rico. Um, so I'm in communication, especially with my mom. And she tells me all you know the things that they were struggling through. Uh, if we talk about putting in order through the hurricane for Maria, for her to get power and water, it took... Um, it was a, almost what, a year, something like that. Yeah, Jesus. like a year. Yeah, and that was for her. You know, her house. We have two modes of two main materials of construction, which is wood and concrete. Most of the people build in concrete because, of course, we're in an island, we're in a tropical weather, and hurricanes is a norm for us. So, but for the people that have wooden homes or they have some kind of different kind of structure than us, as strong through the when the hurricane maria went through it just destroyed everything completely so there are people until today they still don't have a home you know and of course there are some other you know back problems that puerto rico have in 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 regards to infrastructure how people do things and everything but yeah there's still people that they don't have a home there's still people that don't have no potable water they don't have no power depends you know how deep you are in the in the island but for the rest of the people, you know, life has come to kind of like a, you know, like a normal balance again. I say my mom, normally I ask, you know, like percentage wise, she say we have about to 60, 70 percent that we feel kind of normal in that regard from the hurricane. And then you put the earthquakes, you know, which the earthquakes start happening. When the, what was the first one, Sharon? When we were there on vacation, right? November? December 28th. There you go. So December 28, the town that the first big airport happened, we were there 24 hours prior. So we we missed it by, by 24 hours. And um, in that area, which is the south of Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico is an island 100 miles long by 35 wide. So that tells you it's just a tiny bit. Right. So a airquake that is so strong in one area, you can feel it all around Puerto Rico. So now, because we're talking about the way that we construct Puerto Rico concrete, you know, an earthquake, you imagine, it's rigid. So, of course, it doesn't sustain, you know, earthquakes. So a lot of structure had crumbled. It had compromised the integrity of the homes and stuff like that. But for people that don't know how Puerto Ricans, how we are, man, we are so resilient. People are still gold potting. People are still, you know, drinking is the favorite sport. People are still going <laughs> So even though people still struggling with that stuff and everything, they still make the time to be social with everybody. They don't care about what is going on. When is the weekend between Friday, all the way until Monday morning, beaches are packed and everything. They still, you know, 
living that life because the resiliency how we are. Absolutely appreciate that, man. I mean, I personally I didn't want to hear from Roger Goodell. Um I just didn't, man. I mean, hell, we got three general managers, I believe, that's of color in the league. And I think only two black coaches, head coaches. Um, that's Mike Tomlin and the Miami coach. Miami. The, yeah, the guy. Oh, no, there's three. Uh the yeah, the I think the Dolphins has one and then the coach of the Chargers. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so they're the only ones. I just didn't want to hear from Roger, you know, at that. It just doesn't seem Tonio, let's talk being genuine and non-genuine. You know what I'm saying? Like you you we always get these apologies like this when somebody's called out for their actions. You know what I'm saying? Like why are they not thinking about these things prior? It doesn't seem genuine. And I think what happened to the time when you knew people didn't write their own um their speeches. Do you remember that? Like you'd be like, like you like you, you, can, like, you, can you could tell it. that they didn't write it, right? They just reading it and then you're yeah. like, man, that's bullshit. Yeah. But that's their statement. Now I think obviously in the social media era and just the the fast responses needed, everybody's writing their own responses, which is good because at least that's that's theirs. That's more authentic. But you're getting a lot of people who are number one insensitive a lot of people who are ignorant which look up the definition of ignorant right don't just think that that's a, such a bad thing is just a lack of information you know so they're writing their own rebuttals to people the heat you know the, the fires turned up on them and that that this is what you're getting is these responses and then obviously they backtrack the responses saying oh after two or three days i did some research and did well why didn't you do that in first or why didn't you talk to somebody who's going through the situation and understand? Because it? they don't care to okay, do right. that first. Correct. And that's I you're agree. only in your own bubble. We don't know these people's lives. Let's talk Drew Brees, right? Drew Brees, we don't know his day-to-day life. We only know what we see on on TV. I do not think Drew Brees is a racist guy. I don't think so. I don't feel that way. Uh, could he wake up, go to practice, wake up, go to the gym, do what it has to do, you know, um, study the playbook, go to practice. Those are his guys. He's been doing this for a, a, a many, many, many years. I'm not just talking NFL. I'm talking about high school, peewee, college, everything. You know, he goes, he shake hand with these guys. These are his brothers on the football field. But then when he go home, everything is white. You know what I'm saying? There is no conversation. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not having conversation at home. You know about uh, uh, injustices and stuff like that. It's you know the workday is over. Put Disney on for the kids. You know what I'm saying? Like it's we don't know his day to day life. I don't know Roger Goodell's day to day life. Only thing that I'm asking is for my white friends. You know, um, people who are around me. You know, I appreciate when they say, "Yo, bro, how you doing, man." You know, we see all this stuff going on. I see the news, but, you know, how are you? I appreciate those kind because then that leads into a conversation. It may get uncomfortable, but I appreciate it. 
I think that's the point we're at now, though. I've had a lot of people reach out to me, you know, uh, white males and females trying to say, hey, what's ways that I can improve? I'm here to listen. Um, hey, I was protesting today for people like you and more like and I think that those are our allies that we need. Um, I even I hate did, did that a, word. Antonio, I, bro. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but hold on. let me it, let me let me <laughs> say this first before we go back to that. Let me because I don't want to forget. Um, okay. So first off. Um, I also did an interview uh, last week. Um, yeah. So Michael Carpenter, uh, Level 200 podcast. Um, subscribe if you guys get a chance. Um, but he is a white male that we went to high school with. And he asked me to come on and ask me some questions for so that he can get understanding. And um, like I said, please uh, subscribe and uh, re-listen to that podcast. But he was on there asking, hey, how can white people help? And, you know, my answer was uh, I can't get into these. I'm not in these text message groups that y'all in these uh, boardroom meetings. I'm not at your family reunions and family barbecues. Right. No black people are. I said, but you're there. So when you start to hear stuff that's kind of a little racist or maybe lack of information that they're saying and you might have the correct information, I said, that's the time that you that you step up for us and say, hey, man, what you said was uncalled for or it's wrong. And this is why I said that's when that's the fight that I would like you guys to fight with us as well. So 100 percent. So um, so it, like I said, level just, 200 podcast. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to them, man. And it's it really it, it just seems it seems like it could be much more simpler than what it what it is because it all it all it all it really is is just you doing research to find or you just yeah doing research or simply asking why cuz if you don't know something why wouldn't you just ask why it's the people that ignore it that's part of the problem you know what i'm saying like just just ask why shout out to all the um First of all, shout out to all the people who are donating. I'm not just talking about celebrities, but I'm including them. Everybody that is doing their part in helping uh, anonymously and, you know what I'm saying, out in the open. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that's doing, that's helping, you know, creating funds to help bail people out of jail, protesters. Um there's people obviously has been donated for coronavirus release and funds and different businesses and stuff like that. Shout out to all those people, man, that are just being people. All right. So I got a couple um ways that people can donate. So uh Black Vision Collections. Um, I don't have the websites for all of them, but you guys could just Google these and then I'm sure the, the website will come up. So Black Vision Collections, um, Reclaim the Block, Know Your Rights Camp. Minnesota Freedom Fund, George Floyd Memorial Fund. I think his uh, funeral is this week, right? I think so. Oh, uh, it's already it happened. Oh, it happened. I think they're having two then, right? Yeah, it okay. happened. Uh, I want to say Jesus. Uh, either Thursday or Friday, it happened. Um, a lot of celebrities. Um, a lot of celebrities there. Um, showing love. Um, uh, Floyd Mayweather. Um, yeah, he paid for it, right? He he paid for the funeral uh, or offered. I don't know if it, it if it actually happened, but he did offer to take care of it and and he his businesses or whatever cut a check for that. But yeah, there was a lot of a lot of people there, man. Um, you know, Kevin Hart, uh, Ludacris, Tyree showed up in a Black Panther outfit. <laughs> at, least, at least it wasn't a Transformer outfit, so that's cool. I'll take that. <laughs> well, why he show up in a uh, Black Panther outfit? He ain't got bro. no job. He waiting. <laughs> Shit, they ain't fin- making no film. 
They ain't even showing Fast Nine no more, bro. He it's thought, crazy. Hey, he thought he was broke before, bro. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Remember when he yeah, was, yeah, when he was crying, taking him with me. Um, so George Floyd Memorial Fund, uh, Campaign Zero, Black Lives Matter, for sure. Communities uh, United Against Police Brutality. Um, I run with Mod. That's M A U D, um, and that's a uh, Mod Aubrey. If obviously you guys should be aware of that. And I think he, those people who who murdered him, should be. I think they, they have to did, do their plea or something first, like that, right? Yeah, they just did the first thing, um, yeah. uh, part of it via video to right. the judge. So okay, um, shout out. To, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I got two more, and then okay. um, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and then American Civil uh, Liberties Union. So, like I said, all those you guys can Google those things, and then the the website should come up. And then if you would like to donate to any of those to help out with the movement, you know, it's it's greatly appreciated as well. Um, are we are, curse? No curse. Oh yeah, going? we raw. This this your shit was raw. Well, okay. So uh, we here right now. It's the A Square Podcast. Your boy DJ A Ron alongside my brother Cornbread. Cornbread man, uh, you, are you at the beach right now, or are you just you wishing for the beach? So if any of y'all ever seen Money Heist, it's like the beginning of the third season. They on some deserted island. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> That's where I'm at. And they're about to come get me in about 30 minutes. So let's hurry this shit up, bro. What up? <laughs> That's funny. Well, this is um this is a uh, uh a special edition. I'm gonna call this the A Squared DJ quarantine edition. Like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um we got DJ Cam in the building from Yes, sir. Repping the, repping the mighty heavy hitters, free agent radio. Word. Philadelphia market, Jersey market. Respect. And then we have uh, that N-word <laughs> also on here. DJ Super is in here. What's good, man? What's up, fellas? How y'all feeling? Happy to be here. My guys, my boys. We're good. Um, Cam, oh Cam, made a, Cam made a very, very... Uh, important announcement, but prior to coming on here, we all have to honor his wishes. <laughs> and in his wishes, he has he has been granted by the A Square Podcast that Super <laughs> will refer to him as Grandmaster. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> he got up. Oh, Look at him. He got up. He stood up. Oh. <laughs> Nah, yo. Oh, you were, It's already. It's out of my hands, bro. You know what they say? <laughs> it's above me now. It's oh, above me now. Yeah. It's with corporate. It's a corporate level. Yeah, corporate this is a Bruce Lee thing. Right <laughs> away, baby. <laughs> so, where did you get your start um, with DJing and everything, man? Like, how did it start for you? Started New York. I was, uh, you know, originally born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, my cousin Tyree, R.I.P. Tyree, who came and uh, lived with us for a couple of years, he's about four or five years older than me, was getting these tapes with Catch Rapping, stuff like that. Never heard it before, because this is going back to like literally late 77, maybe 78. And they're, you know, diff different beats are being played, unfamiliar with them, not even going to lie. 
and they were rapping. They weren't singing. Anything that my cousin did, I wanted to do. So I was instantly involved and intrigued just because he was involved with it. So I'm kind of following, not knowing what it is technically. But as I'm listening to it, I'm starting to like it hearing familiar names over and over, whether it be Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Four, uh, Funky Four Plus One, Treacherous Three. So you're hearing these names over and over again. What years are these? What years? is this? This is like, yeah, I would say 70, 78, like late 77, 78. Okay. Rap doesn't exist. I'm hearing it. It doesn't have a name. I don't know what to call it. I don't know what it is. I know it's not the Jackson Five because they're not singing. <laughs> right. I know it's not the Temptations. They're not singing. You get what I'm saying? So continuing to listen to them. Then my cousin actually started getting equipment and started learning how to DJ. So I'm watching, paying attention. Of course, I'm too young to get involved, but I'm just, just overly watching. And I kind of dug it after a while. You know, I was like, wow, this is kind of dope. You know, I know I can't sing. I didn't want to rap because I was too shy to be in front of people in that setting. But when I saw him get the DJ thing, I could see that you kind of could kind of be like the drummer in a sense. If I was to ever be in any type of group, I would probably be best suited as a drummer where you're very important, but you're not the focus. Like, I don't want that type of attention, even to this day, to be honest. But um, back then, even more so. So paying attention to him getting into it, listening to the tapes more then some year you know a year or two passes then rappers delight comes out then mm. everybody now it has a name and you know even though i know it had a name before that but i'm just kind of saying in a sense now it has a name you know i'm hearing frankie crocker play the song on the radio people are going crazy over it um and just from there just just eating up all the information i still at this point, haven't put my hands on anybody's turntable or anything, but just was getting in tune with the culture, not knowing it was a culture, not even knowing the name of the culture, but just getting my feet wet and being very, very involved in something where I didn't even know what it was called. And then once again, as time went on, got more involved, more involved, started seeing guys in our neighborhood bring out equipment and play music uh, in the park where we lived. I lived on the ninth floor, so you can look straight down into the playground and you can see the DJs coming to set up right there. So I didn't even have to go downstairs. I would stay on our terrace and just watch them DJ and play music. So that's kind of how I got the bug. And then it just took off from there. And as the years went on, you know, you got to see more, you know, you saw somebody scratching and physically touching the record, which was technically something you weren't supposed to do back then. You know, you're supposed to hold the record on the ends you weren't supposed to physically put your hands on so that was a thing you know so i just progressed from there and just got involved in it more and more as the years went on so that was kind of my introduction to it but like i said i was it wasn't like i was aware of it knew what it was of course it's not what it is today you know this was in you know the very early days you know or i'll say the late early days of like phase one because you know dj and or hip hop itself, even in the, have a name in '73, when Cool Herc supposedly did the first party, there technically still wasn't even a name for it. So that was kind of my introduction. And been doing it ever since, and I'm totally locked in and committed. My first wife. 
Go ahead, Tony. You got something? No, I was going to say I'm, I'm waiting to hear from Super, too. Yeah, Super, what about you, man? So I got my first start. Well, let me see. Um, Honestly, listening to hip-hop, always loving the scratches, you know, hearing the scratches and the records and always thinking that was cool, but it was the radio. Uh, I grew up in South Jersey, in Willenboro, South Jersey, so we were close to Philly, so I, I grew up off of Philly radio, and back then, we're talking like in like the mid-90s, and just in the 90s, like we used to record the radio. That was everything, like getting a blanket set tape and recording records off of the radio. But the week, the weekends, especially when the mix shows was popping, um, was everything. Which me. reminds me, my, I, I mean, the country office is very important. I say this. Uh, my mom says she found the tape that was recorded from you being on the radio here in Champaign. She found like four tapes. That she had recorded oh, with you being on the station. Oh yeah, I need to hear from, that from when you were here. So uh, I got to go over there and find that. I got to go over there and get it from her. But she said she found like four tapes. Oh I shit! Think. You hear that? You hear that, Cam? Anyway, back to my story. Um, <laughs> Only four <so>. tapes. <laughs> I knew he was gonna say that. I knew he was gonna say that. <laughs> um, yo, like listening to the DJs on the radio was everything, yo. Like, that was our way of getting free music. But I love the way the DJs, it was one It was one thing to just have the records played, like in regular rotation and stuff like that. But the way the DJs was playing the music and scratching it up and running it back and was like, it made me like, it made me like the music more. I'm like, yo, they killing it right now. So for me, um, I got... I got a, uh, I, I had put some shit on layaway. It was a, a Newmark <laughs> DJ starter, starter pick, like a starter <laughs> kit type of situation. All in one box, yo. Um, at the Franklin Mills. That shit was at the Franklin Mills. Uh, it ain't even called the Franklin Mills no more. I think it's the Philadelphia Mills. But it was this little spot in there. I had put some money on it on layaway. And shout out to my mom, just always being loving and supportive. Uh, she helped me get it off layaway. Um, in this in this starter box was uh, some belt drive Newmark 1510s. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Do you hear me, Cam? You hear me with belt, the wobbly ass platter? With the wobbly ass platter, it was belt drives. Yeah, you need those. Gotta get the rubber bands. Get the rubber bands up. Exactly. Oh um, my gosh. And, a, and a little, uh, a little uh, new mark. I want to say a nine oh nine mixer. It even came with two powered speakers. Like it came with everything you need yeah. to like be a DJ, yo. It came with headphones, yo. <laughs> it came with everything. Like you, if, if you if you never DJ before, you get this big ass box. You're a fucking DJ now. Like it was like your my first DJ starter kit. That's exactly what it was uh, by Newmark. And um, from there, uh, it was just playing around, man. You know, I wanted to do what the, the guys on the radio was doing. Um, every day after school, just back there playing, playing. And 
where I lived at in my town just so happened there's a record store right across the street. I could throw a rock at a record store. I grew up, you know, I, I was very fortunate to have a record store across the street from my house that this nigga Cam actually used to work at. <laughs> Back in the day. Back in the day. We're going to start hearing my name a lot more as the story progresses. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we have Super on here? Let's just talk to Cam. I don't understand. What's going, what's going on around my, here? My version will be a lot more entertaining, trust yeah, me. Like what? <laughs> Yo, I was very fortunate to, to, to live across the street from a record store. Like, I was kind of like in the middle of town. Me and Cam kind of jokingly call it like the Midtown of Willenboro. Like yeah, everything, yeah. everything was across the street from my house, y'all. Literally, my my window to my room at the front of the house, I, it was the grocery store. It was a plaza, grocery store, bakery, barbershop, record store, Chinese uh, restaurant, hair care products place, and a bank and a dollar store. All within, I could throw a rock <laughs> at it. And the gas, and it was a gas station across the street. And when I first started driving. Gas was 89 cents a gallon, going on a tangent <laughs> right now. But anyway, uh, yo, after I got that 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 DJ starter pack, um, because of hearing the guys on the radio, um, just started playing, man, in the back room at the house, like after school all the time, just taking records and just scratching after school for hours, just rubbing records, just you know, having fun, just enjoying it. Um, you know, eventually that, that leads to you buying records, more records. I want to say the first records I bought from Sound Express across the street. Common, The Light, I want to say. Common, The Light. <laughs> Amil, For The Fam, with, 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 with Jay-Z and all that. Like, this is, this is 2000, mind you. I, I started, I got my first pair of turntables in 2000. Summer of 2000, so... This is 20 years for me. This is exactly 20 years for me. And um, yeah, man, it was just, it was it, my biggest influence. To answer your question, um, what made me want to do it was listening to the cats on Philly radio. And then eventually, um, you know, doing a little bit more studying. And when I could get Hot 97, like, I couldn't really hit New York radio where I was at, but some of my folks in Trenton could. Trenton was a little, little like 20, 30 minutes north. So it was a little closer, got a little better, little better signal. So kind of hearing what they was doing up in New York, but mostly it was listening to the DJs on Philly radio. Um, I can go off on the names and all that or save it for later if you want. But yeah, it was listening to Philly radio. Y'all touch on it. Um, who were some of the influences? Who, like who, who were they? Um, it was um, Cosmic Kev, Gary O, Don Mystic Mac, Jay Ski, Touch Tone, uh, Ran, uh, what's that nigga name? Cam. <laughs> <laughs> um, those were those were the names. The the the. I want to say the, the heaviest of the names. Yeah. I said Jay Ski, right? Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I definitely want to ask, so since we with the shits, man, I, I'll start with Aaron and then we'll go to Cam and then Super. Give me your worst. I want to request a song story. I need, I need the worst one. Yeah. Now I'm elected. 
I'm gonna let you know. I'm gonna let Cam go first because Super right. need to go last because I already yeah. know where this All this right. gonna go. I need your work. <laughs> I, I need to request a song story. What? What? Tell me what. I need I to request a song. All right. I don't have a story for it, but I'm gonna give you my play on it. Yeah, whatever you got. I don't want your request. I don't need it. <laughs> I've always had that attitude. I love the fact that I have that attitude, and I stand behind that attitude. At the end of the day, I'm good at what I do. So I don't need your help. I don't go to nobody's job and try to enhance how they do their job. Right. So don't come to my job trying to tell me how to enhance and do my job. Respect my space and my craft. I'll respect you and your craft. I don't go to McDonald's and say you can make them French fries better. <laughs> I accept them fries as the guy that's making them French fries. I know he knows what he's doing. Right. I leave it there. So my thing with requests, I'm not big on it. Um, and I always feel like people really don't want to hear always what's popular. They just want to hear something that they like. Right. And what you like and what's going on in the atmosphere of the of the club and the venue right. can be two different things. They can be apples and oranges. Right. I can have, you know, probably the worst scenario of people asking for requests, which I guess could be a story, is when you got the floor packed and somebody wants to hear something. You're like, yo, if we got 300 people here and 299 of them are dancing except your ass, you think the song that you want to hear... <laughs> is going to top what we're doing right in this moment. Right. Like you're that confident in that song or is it just about you being satisfied to the point that I could lose 299 people right. and then all of a sudden your dumbass ends up on the dance floor dancing. <laughs> or even worse, gonna, man. Or, or we're not going to play worse. the percentages. Or even worse, you do play it and they clear the whole floor out. <laughs> See, and, and that's, that's and, why you don't do it. And not only that, just to just to just to just to screw in the nail a little bit more, they dumbass didn't even get on the dance floor because the dance do. floor got cleared out. All here, here, here it goes as a DJ. All you got is your rep. That's it. You, when somebody requests a song, that person doesn't. No one knows. When right. you play that song, that request, that's you're basically taking the rap for that song. So that means your intentions was to play that song. So if it clears the dance floor, you got to eat that. My thing is, I ain't eating that. I'm not, I'm going on, on what I know. I'm not going on what somebody wants to hear. If you want to hear that song, jump in your car and listen to it. Because you probably was listening to that song <laughs> all the way to the club. And you're going to listen to it all the way back. But we ain't going to listen to it when I got 299 people having a good time. And you that one person that wants to throw everything off. Ain't got no time for it. So, no, so for me, no so request. Me, out here, I DJ for a lot of um, a lot of college students. I do these mixers uh, where they bust the students in and then they bust them out and whatever. So I'll be playing, and um, they're very privileged children, students. Okay, they're very privileged. So what I mean by that is, is that. <laughs> You just gonna play what we ask you to play, you know what I'm saying? Like that's how they that's how they act. Oh, so Lord. ten times a night, maybe I may have people come up and say, during the time when Cam is saying dance floor is looking good, everybody's enjoying their, their their time. I'm having fun. The bartenders are dancing. You feeding off all that energy, right? And then you have somebody come up to you 
with a funky ass breath <laughs> mixed with mixed with juicy fruit, alcohol, and, and whatever else that they've been fucking with, okay? And they like and they're like, hey, real all all up all up over here. All up over here. You you can feel the breath. That that's the worst. Is when they try to talk to you and you can feel the breath. <laughs> All that right here, you feel it? Oh my god! Like play such and such. I'm about to leave. <laughs> about to leave, shit. Oh my god! I'm about to. I'm about to, we, we about to leave. Can you play this? It's it's the worst. It's the worst, man. Ugh. I saved it. I saved it for Super because he. I have witnessed so many times people come up and ask him to the point where I used to be like, when people used to come up, I'd help out and be like, yo, what can I, you know, just I help out, whether it's with Supa or another DJ, you know, to keep their mind doing their thing, I'll take the request, you know what I'm saying? You can feel Yeah, the right. situation. I, in, I thoroughly enjoy watching people request songs from Supa because he, they will get the most disrespectful, respectful answer. <laughs> get get it? The most disrespectful, respectful answer <laughs> to the point where they have no comeback whatsoever, and they have to leave. <laughs> they have to. They gotta go. So I saved that for Super so he could tell us his. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna say. The wackest moment, the wackest time I had as before, before me and you was rotating like that. But I was in, I was in Illinois though. But to to add to what you just said, usually I just be smiling in niggas' faces. I'd be like, oh, oh, I want to hear that. All right, let me check my hard drive. If you're sitting there, I'm gonna play it. All right, you be good. Enjoy your day. Like just, 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 just you know, brush them off. Yo, yeah, but, um, hold on, real quick, real quick. You remember the time where you was like, the chick came up to you, asked you for a song, you was like, mm, mm, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> she was, when I tell y'all, she was so confused. And she was just like, no, you uh, know, I love he was like, no, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about, but no. <laughs> Yo, that's like Cam right there. That's Cam influence right there. That's Cam coming out of me right there. I love <laughs> it. My, I love that's it. That's Cam influence, but it's with my twist because Cam wouldn't have been so nice and nonchalant about it. That's me putting my twist on it. Like Cam would have just been like, "No," I, but me, I'm like, "Oh, eh, nah, just nah." <laughs> so, hey. oh man, it's so, so crazy. I remember this one time, um, right there in university. Um, downtown Champagne. Y'all remember for a little brief stint, there was a club called Tracks. Yeah, Tracks. Right across the street from the the train oh, the station. The bus station. Yeah, the bus. Yeah, the bus terminal and the train station and all that. Um, I broke that club in. Like, uh, what's the boy's name? Alvin. Alvin. Alvin, Alvin still owe me three hundred dollars. If I ever see Alvin, bro, I don't care what limp he got. I don't care, bro. It's it's on site for them three hundred because he stole. Yeah, I, I, I think he owed me. He owed me something from the the last New Year's Eve party. I I think he 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 owed me something from that too. And this is like oh wait, 
It's some old age shit. Yeah. <laughs> you but, can always um, collect. You can always collect. Right. Right, right. It's a little interest, though. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Fact. I was at tracks. Alvin sought me out. Like, if, if I could rewind a little bit, Alvin um, did a deal with the station. They wanted to break that club in on New Year's Eve. Like, that was, like, the first major night that club opened up. And I remember that they came to the station while I was doing the five o'clock mix and was like, yo, I don't want nobody to DJ this party, but super. I hear him on the radio killing it. I need that at my club. And bam, I, I, the first time I played there was New Year's Eve, killed that shit. Then it turned into every Saturday. I did every Saturday at tracks for, for a hot second. Um, their DJ booth was perched up on like a little, like a little balcony, up, but it was so tight. Steps yeah, it was it. up the steps, but it was so tight. Like you wasn't fitting more than one person in that joint. Yeah. Mad tight in that joint. And um, it'd be loud in there. It's loud in the club, but also in that little tight ass closet of a booth, you had the monitor in there. So it's just loud. And I remember this girl kept, was coming, she would come up the steps, she only could come up so far <laughs> because she can't get in. With my big ass already in there, so she, so she wouldn't, she wouldn't come up to the top of the steps. She would like be like the third step from the top, but she's like below me. So I kept having to turn around and bend down and and what you say, huh? You want to hear what? I just kept pointing. I just kept pointing in my ear like, yo, I don't, yo, I don't know what you say. I'm getting back to this this young Joe shoulder lean and Jim Jones we fly high. Like this shows you the time we in right now. <laughs> And um, I guess she got fed up. I thought she was gone. This broad came back with a piece of paper oh. and a pen. And she tapped me. Just, and I don't know that you keep tapping me while I'm mixing. And you, you, you're like a little bit below me because you can't come all the way up the steps because my big ass is at the top of the steps <laughs> and you can't get up there. So she kept tapping like the back of my calf muscle to get my attention. I'm just like, oh, what? <laughs> um, she handed me the piece of paper, and it was like, it was like a list of requests. Jesus. Damn, yeah, it was like two or three joints. Can you play this? Can you play that? Can you play this? I just looked at the t at the paper and I looked back down at her, and I was just like, all right, all right, all right, whatever. Just to get out of my face. I wasn't going to play none of this shit. <laughs> and I don't know, 40 <laughs> minutes go by. <laughs> like 40 minutes go by. She comes back and taps my calf muscle again. Oh. I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. She looked at me, she looked at me and did one of these drawings. She looked at me and was like, <laughs> so what's up? What's up? I was like, I don't know, whatever. Like, it's like power hour now. She leaves, she comes back with another piece of paper. Oh, and is it the teacher? She taps my calf muscle. What? She taps my calf muscle, like like tugging, tugging on my jeans and tapping my calf muscle and tugging on my jeans to get my attention. And I'm just like, yo, chill. Like, once again, it's a paper that said, can you please play these songs? And she gave me the pen and the paper. Yo, I wrote on the paper, leave me the fuck alone. I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Excellent. I was so mad. Kim, I was so mad. I was so annoyed, yo. This shit was popping. The club was popping. Like, we getting it in. Like, yo, like, I'm... Like, leave me alone. Like, I, I wrote, leave me. I just remember just having a moment like, yo, leave me the fuck alone. I'm working. I gave, I, I and look, I handed her the paper with a smile, too. Like, here you go. <laughs> and I'm looking down at her on the steps, and she read the paper and was like, <laughs> and she, looked, she she gave me the look like, seriously? Like, like one of them white girl looks. It was a white girl. You're like, Seriously? And I was just, I just, yo, I, I thought that was the most annoying shit ever, yo. She kept tapping me. During these times right now, like, how are y'all, how has this quarantine and, uh, you know, everybody staying at home for the most part, and except for, you know, essential workers or whatever, but like, um, Cam, like, how are you holding up with, with the COVID stuff and everything? Like, how are you holding up, um, you know, not being able to do um, clubs or weddings, whatever it is? You, you know, I know you own, you know, Free Agent Radios, so shout out to Free Agent. Um, but how is everything for you? Um, everything, everything's cool. I don't, um, my whole career of DJing, I never totally relied on the club party scene in a sense ever since radio came into play I've always found a way to balance it um so as far as events and things of that nature yeah right now we're not doing them I I don't have them to do but the fact that I'm still doing radio I'm able to still financially generate revenue just from being here at home in this room that I'm, I'm in right now so the concept of me needing to be in a club or needing to do that wedding in June or July and, and August or that big event that I might normally do every year for the last six or seven years. Right now, I'm not really feeling the, the, the pinch of it, you know, not feeling the pain on it. Because once again, I don't totally rely on it. Is it income that I would love to have? Of course. But the fact that I don't have it doesn't shut me down. I know for a lot of DJs, I think it really shows on Facebook live to me, and I kind of giggle at it to be very honest. You see the guys who rely on the clubs. Yeah. Because they're constantly doing the the Facebook live, trying to recapture what they're not getting because they literally relied on on street money. They relied on the clubs heavy or, or just pure events, you know, if you're a mobile DJ. And with them not having any other option other than that, they're just, they're, they're held, they're pigeon held. They have no no other means to generate, you know. So hopefully for those guys, I'm not even going to say it for me. I'm, I probably already thought this out prior to it happening, not knowing un, unconsciously. But that concept of just having all your eggs in one basket, they say it's not good. I say in certain situations it is and it ain't. You kind of can play with that. But as a DJ, I think it's always good to just kind of have – yourself lined up in different things. You know, I, I see a lot of dudes that are heavy with the clubs. That's great. But you're relying on on something that you can't control. All it takes is that club owner to F up his license. Now you're not DJing in that club. It has nothing to do with you. You know, oh, mobile gigs, cheaper DJ same scenario. Yeah. Say it again. 
I was gonna say, or find like a cheaper DJ or whatever. They could just yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of things there that that you have no control of, so you kind of don't want to just rely totally on that. I just I just think it's, you know, it's a bit. You know, the tunnel vision is a little nervous when you're just that way. And I know a lot of guys like that. I, you know, I'm a member of the heavy hitters. There's a lot of guys in my crew that are in that lane where it's all about the club. It ain't about nothing else. And now that they're not DJing six, seven days a week, you know, what is it that you do? Not unless the, the guys are really smart with their money to the point that they can ride this out, you know, Hopefully that's the case, but I know a lot of cats that kind of move that way, they're living in the moment. So, the, you know, the whole concept of being smart with your money and maybe saving is not always, you know, top of the mind. Because like I said before, when you're DJing that much, you're living in the moment. I don't care what nobody says. Because <laughs> you're used to that. You're like, okay, seven days in a week, I'm DJing five or six days. It's 52 weeks in a year. You riding off of that. I'll, I'll get to that later. I'll get to saving a little later, you know, and that little later turns into three, four, five, six years in. Right. You might not have saved a penny yet, you know, but I, I just say with me going through this right now, the adjustment wasn't too much of an adjustment because I've always been in here doing stuff that generates and the fact that I'm probably more of a fan of doing radio than doing the clubs anyway. I'm, I'm still, you know, generating and, when the clubs come back and we're able to do events, you know, I'll slowly get back into it. Like I'm not, I see cats are actually doing events now in different cities. I want no parts. I'm not ready yet. I don't think from a health standpoint, this thing is cleared up yet. Yeah. So I'm not in a rush to go out and make $500 and possibly come back home sick. Right. To me, the trade-off ain't worth it. So I want to wait a little longer. I jokingly say, I don't really want to do any events until I actually, Actually, till uh, after the new year, to be gut honest, if I had my way, I would just leave everything alone, wait till the new year, and hopefully, you know, there'll be a, a better gauge on this thing from a health standpoint, not just everybody wanting to get back to everything based on on the economy, you know. So that's kind of you know my feeling on that and whatnot. But I've you know survived, survive or surviving it through the fact that I do radio, and like. The guys that are heavy on radio, I mean, are heavy on the clubs, I, I, I probably lean on the radio a little more, and I'm still able to generate, you know, do doing different things on the radio and whatnot, and not relying on the club scene right. and whatnot. So what, what about you, Um, I mean, I've been taking it pretty well. Uh, it's been interesting uh, for me because a lot of people don't know outside of DJing and radio, I'm in the direct care field. So I've been on the front line with this Corona shit um, when it went down and lost coworkers off of it and had clients uh, test positive for it and go through the motions. And even, even people close to me having it and going through the motions with it. Um, Seeing it firsthand like that, I'm I'm with Cam. Like, I'm not quick to come back out to this shit, yo. Like, I'm not I'm not playing around with it. Cause in the beginning, I didn't know what to think about it. I'm like, what's really going on with this? Is this real? Like, is this really as big as they saying it is? They hyping it up. Like, when somebody close to you get that shit, 
or somebody you be around or work with every week, get that shit, and then you talk to them, and then the next week they passed away from it, you're like, all right, I ain't fucking around with this shit. Um, but through all of that, like, I was in it. Like, I was in it, yo. And um, luckily, I tested negative, and when everybody around me was testing positive, and, um, you know, just that shit humbles you, yo. That shit, that shit really humbles you, and you just put a lot of things and other things into perspective. Like, man, life is short. You just never know what the hell's gonna come. Uh, this pandemic shit kind of like came out of nowhere to me, and like it just came out of nowhere. Like one week we was chilling, and the next week it was like <laughs> everything is shut down. Um, you know, from a DJing standpoint, um, I do a lot of mobile gigs more so than than clubs. So all of that shut down. Like Cam will tell you, all that shit was standstill. Like um, Cam and I are we're, we're, we're with the same DJ agency. Like I do, I do a lot of stuff with them. Like that, all that, all the stuff I had lined up with them was a wrap. All that shit got <laughs> shut down. Um, my weddings, the weddings I had lined up. Uh, I think I have one that still might be left on the books that was pushed back to October. Um, just had another cancellation last week that for one that was supposed to be in August and all the other ones before that for June and, and, um, in July, all of them joins was canceled. Um, so, you know, just, it's, 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 it's a stream of income. So, you know, you're going to feel it in, in that, in that sense, but I had other streams of income as well. Um, of course, from, from the day gig and, and from radio and, and also being smart with my money and saving too before any of this shit even hit. And, um, you know, even through, through the whole pandemic shit, like, you know, I, if y'all ever moved, you hate moving, you know, I had, I moved, uh, moved into a new crib. That was, that can be a little stressful, you know what I'm saying? When you're moving, but moving during a pandemic, yo, <laughs> trying to get like furniture delivered and friends and helping. Hell no. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> yo, I was like, I, I, oh, I had bought a new couch at the store. They like, yo, we'll deliver it, but we only going to come to the corner. It was only like curbside. I'm like, if y'all don't bring that shit in here, <laughs> stop playing around this big ass couch. Um, but I mean, through it all, like just just being strategic, like Cam and I talk a lot. Uh, about where we want to take radio with what we've been doing. And I think we're going to be coming out of this pandemic shit with some, with, with a new situation that we've been working on. I'm actually really excited and looking forward to what we can make happen with that. 